Welcome to the Didicate podcast and this latest conversations episode. And I'm here with Josh Bailey. Josh is vicar of three churches in Suffolk. Josh, how are you? I'm well, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Josh, tell us a bit about yourself. So uh, you said about Suffolk, uh, which is, you know, somewhere no one goes to unless, <laughs> you know, that you don't pass through it. And it, it does feel a bit like that, which is both good and bad. Uh, so it's amazing. Like it's the land of plenty. There's sort of cheese and, you know, flowing uh, milk and honey and stuff. But um, the, there's a lot of people have been here for a long time. And uh, the situation that we came into uh, was the main church of the three was kind of on its last legs. And as such, there was an injection of uh, some money from the central church uh, that sort of paid half of my job. And it was particularly focused on reaching out and uh, bringing in new people, um, people who've never had anything to do with church before, uh, as part of a wider thing across the whole of the county. Uh, But the other half of it, and this is going to come up in the conversation later, are absolutely sort of classic rural parish church. uh, And one church uh, i don't know the guys listening this may be like what uh but an anglo-catholic parish uh so last sunday i sang a communion service in a chasuble uh wow. and you can google what that is if you want but that is the <laughs> kind of thing that uh we're doing here uh and just final thing I, I got four kids and we're homeschooling them and that actually has quite a big effect on on what life's like up here did you have to buy any extra extra gear for, the, for this position nah, it's all there i would <laughs> not all buy there. it yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The only reason I wear it is because it's all there already. It's all there. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Josh, look, let's get straight in with the big question for this podcast. What is church? I have listened, Sam, to the other guys answer this question. And you should be encouraged. I want to say a hearty amen to all the other things. So here's a couple <laughs> of things people have said. Uh, Jesus' bride, his body, the temple of the spirit built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Uh, The father's wisdom displayed in heaven and on earth for like Ephesians Mm. 3.10, that kind of thing. Um, And uh, all those things like absolutely yes. Uh, But Mm. when you and I were talking before, uh, the question what's church is very like the question who's Jesus. So you can just say Jesus is Lord. Easy. Mm. Yahweh, Jehovah, you know, uh, the angel of the Lord of the Old Testament, uh, the one who made heaven and earth, Colossians 1, all that stuff. Uh, You can say that, but everything you say needs to more explanation and there's more things you could say. Um, Mm. And I think the thing but for this, you know, that there's a bunch of other stuff. So here's a couple of little choice phrases, maybe. Mm. I spent far too long crafting. So one, <laughs> um, uh, the church is the harvest of Jesus fixing everything. Mm. Uh, the church is the one sheep Jesus finds leaving the 99 angels of heaven. Mm. Uh, or the church is the body of the second Adam raised from the dust to share the divine nature of the life of the eternal God. So th- th- <laughs> there's some other stuff. And, and I think probably like our context, um, I, I think this is why there's been different things that people have said. I've tried to listen to all these things. Um, your context will, will require you to focus particularly mm-hmm. on one element of that incredibly rich and endlessly sort of wondrous picture of uh, the bride of Jesus, the church. Um, there's there's one bit that perhaps people aren't getting and you need to particularly mm. focus on. And I think I'd probably go for this harvest of Jesus fixing everything for where mm. we are at the moment. Um, so that, that's from uh, your uncle Paul, uh, paraphrase of Matthew 19, verse 28, where he says, um, at the renewal of all things, the Palingonesia, uh, just casually, like as an aside, when the disciples are like, hang on, are we going to get anything from losing all this stuff? And uh, Jesus, is like, oh yeah, when I fix everything, 
you're going to sit on 12 <laughs> tribes of Israel. And and I that that's from your uncle entirely. All credit to him. That was huge for me. And our sort of phrase in uh, Holy Trinity Bungie, which is the main church, and also Holy Trinity Barsham and All Saints Mettingham, and actually everything else that we're trying to do in addition to those three worshipping congregations, is saying Jesus is going to fix everything. So so we're going to live like that. We're we're going to be the sort of people who are caught up in Him doing that. And um, it, it there's a lot more you have to say than that. Like so, there's nothing about the cross there. There's nothing about the resurrection. There's nothing explicitly about uh i don't know remaking a broken world or about uh bringing heaven to earth or uh, all those amazing things your other guests have said but you end up going there if the person who's doing it all is jesus and mm. actually when when he reaches down to draw us up um we discover that actually we're caught up in something bigger and more amazing together mm. and and mm. there was one thing we were talking as well like if if you have this emphasis uh, on Jesus fixing everything and he's in the middle of everything. I can't have Jesus and say, oh no, he's not for you. Mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't say, well, well, he's my Jesus and not yours. Um and, and that sort of deals with this problem of the individualism that I think has come up more than once, of this idea that somehow uh church is a collection of people who have a Jesus hobby. You know, you, you can't be like that if your vision of Jesus is as he really is, because he must be someone the whole universe eventually will be about and you are just one person in the universe unless you think you're the center of the universe you're going to have to get on with other people who are caught up into that and more than get on with them you're going to have to be arranged with them the way he says you need to be arranged with them which is called the church capital c and stretches over time and space and uh it, you know into the future what a what a great line there the harvest of jesus fixing everything and that's been the fascinating thing about these conversations, that there are all these different angles to Jesus. There are all these different angles to his body, the church. But how does that particular vision of church shape your vision for church ministry? Oh, there's a lot of things, Sam. Um, I, I think one thing is uh, what things you focus on when you're presented with loads of needs. Uh, that was the very mm. first thing. I, I'm sure you've experienced it as well. I think if there are church planters listening, it's like, oh, there's a school there and there's nothing going on and there's loads of people who are in poverty. And this year it's like cost of living crisis and no one's got any fuel and there's loads of family breakdown and all this kind of thing. And you're like, we've got to do something about it. Like almost before you even think, because that's that's the logic of compassion, isn't it? Like you hear that all the lines about we're Jesus hands and feet and, you know, uh, love in word and deed, you know, emphasis on the deed. And this is how people know you're my disciples, that you love one another. So that means loving people within the church family. You're just like, right, let's go and do all that. And, and actually... If you're like, no, Jesus is going to fix everything. Mm. Um, that stuff, we will make a mess of that unless we're constantly filling our minds with him. We're constantly coming to the scriptures that are all about him, constantly praying that the father would give us a bigger vision of Jesus. And I, I think something I've been thinking a lot about that flowed from this. Um, uh, one of um, our mutual friends, I think your cousin, has talked a lot about how actually the monastic vision in the early church was let's go uh, and find somewhere that is a complete wreck, a total wilderness. And we're going to set up a church there and watch while Jesus just radiates out life and light. And and people will be drawn to that because it's so obvious that life is working and, and makes sense and is good when his people are gathered together around him, worshipping him. And I think if, if Jesus fixes everything, actually, we want to show what that's like. We want to really work hard at church life. 
and say here if you have a totally broken family you can find a family if you are really sick and worried about death you can get confidence to face it if you're worried where your next meal is going to come from you can receive hospitality from church and actually not be so addicted to food and experience and pleasure anyway um if you are addicted to things like porn or drugs or whatever actually that heart ache that you're trying to satisfy and whatever it is he's the one it's really about and and mm. it, all kinds of people with all kinds of problems actually reorient those problems around him in mm. the center of everything and and i think that's i've seen that happen that's the really cool thing like mm. you know oh man like uh I, another thing i've kind of been encouraged by all the people who come on you know your own heart you know your sin uh your people pleasing all the things that um you try and hide away uh the things your wife knows all about um when you're like that actually the vision doesn't suffer because it wasn't about whether you could keep your game face on it was about more or less doing what you've said you want to do and if you find today i haven't been focusing on jesus i haven't been fixing everything all my eyes on him and trusting him to deal with things tomorrow you can wake up and do it afresh and mm. and kind of leave he can fix the mess you made yesterday and um we 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 found that massively with the kind of ordinary ups and downs and i, I suppose in terms of the circumstances um if i can fill in a little bit when i was brought in um it was very definitely like with actually by each year i would need to give actual figures on the number of new disciples who had come to faith because of mm -hmm. things that I or the church had started. So that's part of the kind of key KPIs of this money that we've been given, half of which pays my stipend. And it doesn't matter how, like the, the person who's running it all is amazing and, and understands the danger of that way of thinking, uh, but she is actually getting pressure from higher up. And it just seems to be the way the church is thinking at the moment. There's a crisis, no one's coming to church. Well, we must measure and pursue the things that are getting people in, That that's how it's thought. So um, by the end of a fixed period of time, there is a massive hole in our finances. And the only way that they say it's going to be fixed is if a whole load of new people not only come to church, but start giving to church. So that, that's like a sword literally above mm. my head at this moment. And having, no, Jesus is going to fix everything. Mm. Like, as it turns out, like, I think we, we sort of had 20 come into this church before. It's been about 18 months now. Now we've sort of got 50 uh, on a Sunday. And, and they're, they're new people who've really bought into the vision and, and just loads of amazing like stories and, and people who've come through bereavement and through illness, some through like a toddler group we stuff and stuff. But like mm. all of them, I think if, if we've been about, here is this man, Jesus, who actually fills heaven and earth, sorts everything out, uh, gives you access to the God that you were created to know and to love, um, offers his Holy Spirit uh, to connect you. Uh, there's a voicemail. We'll just pause. That's parish ministry, Sam. Uh, there was a call right there. There's a funeral. Uh, I had to stop mid-flow. Uh, so that's going to be fun for your people to listen to, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I think I was kind of there anyway. Well, I think like you, I've, I've noticed here an unhealthy focus on numbers. And it doesn't make for great reading, actually, here, here in our diocese. I mean... Uh, I was sent an email recently which said diocesan-wide attendance fell by another third to 11,000 post-COVID. But our job is not to look at numbers right. Our job is to connect people with Jesus because he is the one who fixes everything, as you've said. Now, Josh, I think that might help us as we consider how we respond to other Christians, especially those unlike us. I wonder if you could reflect on that for us. Um, there, there are 
some extraordinary like little pockets of people who've sort of escaped up here and are just amazing to speak to. So I have a theologian, like a professional theologian, who uh, spends half his time at Duke Divinity School, uh, David Ayres, uh, who I've had some incredible conversations with. Uh, he used to be a Marxist and then sort of converted mm. to become a Christian. So, you know, no sort of uh, cultural hang-ups at all uh, mm. for, for that you and I, I think, have encountered from kind of, you know, all the good student stuff and like there being a sort of shared culture and memory here. He doesn't have any of that. He's just mm. love for Jesus and his heroes, Augustine and Aquinas and stuff. So I learned a lot from him. Uh, mm. And then another, uh, that there's a family who homeschool who are traditionalist uh, Greek Orthodox. And they, they are not entirely persuaded that I or my family are Christians. Um, mm. And the reason is because we're not part of the church, plain and simple. And their understanding of the church has really challenged me in my sort of inheritance. Um, so uh, background wise, uh, I, I'm a cradle Anglican technically. So my dad uh, is an Anglican minister and I've been part of that church from the beginning. He actually chose Anglicanism. So he became a Christian when he was 16, his family are Buddhists. Uh, so he he really thought about it. And I think that gave me a really refreshing vision for Anglicanism. It was, it was always a church full of Jesus and the traditions and formularies were at the time and, and now uh, the best way of the church in this country being church in continuation of uh, the things handed down by our fathers sort of from thousands of years before and the apostles in the end. Um, but since sort of being part of the Anglican church and all the ups and downs and things, uh, it's been really striking to talk to these Orthodox guys and realize as soon as a group of people leave a group of other Christians, they have cut themselves off from the life of the church. That is their theology, that's their ecclesiology, because the body cannot be divided. If, if the church is really Jesus' body, then there will be a visible unity according to them. And therefore, there are some denominations that are the church and other denominations that are not. And, and that's their perspective. I'm not sure I share it. I, I, I'm constantly trying to argue for a kind of, I mean, I, I think your uncle, our, our mutual friend has said, um, Jesus seems to be quite into tribes. So you don't have to have necessarily one like sort of uniform expression of his body. Uh, you, you will have national churches. You will have churches that speak different languages, and do things different ways. But that the Orthodox Church ecclesiology accounts for that, but says, actually, you need some visible instruments of unity like a bishop or like the Nicene Creed, which, of course, the Roman Church added an extra bit to, you know, and caused a lot of problems. You know, um, you, you need uh, 1 Corinthians um, 1 verse 10, uh, I pray that you would say the same thing. I think it is. Uh, I might get that wrong now. Um, it doesn't say it that way in uh, the NIV, but I think that's what it is literally. Um, mm. This is the vision from the scriptures for a common creed, which everyone can say. And and the, the explanation in the Orthodox Church for why something, a tradition becomes something that actually is fixed is it is what all Christians all do all the time that's that that's their vision so you don't get little fringe projects you don't get well i've read the bible and i've come up with this idea and all of you should do it It, it's this massive sort of almost like sorry if this is like a star trek thing but it's almost like a hive mind thing uh but but like in a really godly and holy spirit leading you into all truth kind of way it's like if all the church have together said yes this is the way we're going to do liturgy. This is the way we're going to order our church structures. This is what a bishop is and how that works. This is what a priest is or a deacon is. We're, we're all going to stick with that. 
and we're going to be really careful before we just chuck it in the bin. And mm. that vision for church, I I can't share it because I'm an Anglican, uh, and and from the, from their point of view, and they don't have an ecclesiology that allows for Henry VIII to break away from the Church of Rome or for the Church of Rome to break away from the Orthodox Church. Those things become live issues that matter now rather than, oh, they, they were all weirdos and we've read the Bible and actually we've discovered how to get back to Acts 2. It's like that that is completely nonsense to these guys. And and I definitely have thought that before. I've definitely thought as you do, like all you need is, I'm so glad you said, you know, material for sacraments because without that, like, whew, uh, you know, you've got to have at least that and, and a few Bibles and, you know, not even a place that, you know, it's the kind of thing that it, it goes along with the attitude that says, oh, that, that building, that really old, amazing building is just a rain shelter. We might as well meet in a swimming pool or a prison, mm. you know, uh, or we can meet in a home and, you know, we're not accountable to anyone really except each other. And, you know, if we feel like it will eventually sort of reach out to someone else, we judge is like authentic and sound and stuff that you just can't find that in the Bible. And you certainly can't find that in church history. So I, I want to say no to that, but I, I don't quite know how to say yes to this Orthodox vision of church because I, I'm out in the cold because of something that happened hundreds of years ago from their point of view. And, and actually, this is a live question for me. How do we construct ecclesiology so that you do have, you know, like the church in China that, that has sprung up um, and is, is authentically Christian? How you say, like I've, a lot of my sort of free church brothers and sisters are obviously Christians and yet that there's something amiss about the way we are organizing ourselves it seems to be sort of bottom up and us like trying to work out what seems best in this tiny little sliver of church history rather than listening to the church glorified all these mm -hmm. people who have thought hard about this stuff and who have handed things down that work and and are obedient to Jesus um yeah I a lot of questions there rather than answers but yeah no, but th there's something interesting there. I mean, I've got Orthodox friends who I've had some fascinating conversations with. And one of the things that I'm wanting to think about as, as an Anglican is, OK, I, I know the places in which I disagree with these people, but what are they seeing in, in me and in us that I'm missing? You know, a friend gave me a, a book uh, written by an Orthodox priest and he was reflecting on uh, the the Protestant church. And one of the comments he, he basically made was, you wonder why you guys get tribalism when you've got denominationalism and in even non-denominationalism, as, as he put it. And I was like, okay, wow. And then he just simply said, the key question for you guys is this question, what is church? And I smiled to myself a little bit when I read it because, like, well, that is one of the, the key questions I'm asking here on this podcast. But what do you think? Do, do you think that there's a, a vision for church that we, we need to recapture what it is to be one? what it is to be holy, what it is to be Catholic and apostolic, or what are you thinking? An intentionality to worship that we're missing? Nah, or what? The, the really hard thing about this is it is not something that we can think ourselves out of. Mm. That's the problem. Like, that's just restating. So that there's there's a guy, uh, Paul van der Clay, who came into the Speak Life thing mm. a while ago, and he yeah. described someone who said, I'm going to decide to be orthodox. And, and she went along and was really enjoying it. And then they made a decision that said, actually, we are going to wear masks and we're going to go along with what the government said. And she said, right, stuff that, you know, I'm not having mm. you trampling over my civil liberties. And there she was sitting on her step, reading her Orthodox study Bible. And suddenly it came to her like a thunderclap. I'm a Protestant. Mm. You know, I've done it again. Mm. I've had another reformation. Like this whole idea that actually I am sitting, looking out on everybody else. And my assessment of everything is the one that really matters. 
And that's how I am going with some other like-minded people to solve this problem of our ecclesiology. Hmm. You've already lost. Like, Hmm. this is not something we decide. This is something that is given Hmm. to us by others. Uh, we, We learn how to find ourselves in the thought world and the history and the tradition of something that has been handed down to us. And, and mm-hmm. I noticed what Dan said, I'm not sure about that. And I, what all the stuff I'm saying here is not to say that people who, who reject all this and think, what are you doing? You know, you're sounding Catholic or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to ever come to a point of writing any other Christian off. That's mm-hmm. not okay. This is, this is a separate question of how can we be obedient again to Jesus' vision for church, mm. which does seem to have this visible expression in mm. people who you submit to their authority. Um, mm. When you're reading the scriptures, you actually do have to think about what the church has said before. And, and you know, Tertullian's thing, you know, the church can err. Um, uh, a tradition can just be an error in its old age. Um, you know, that, that, but that's where the safeguard comes in. You know, how people have to keep on rediscovering the doctrine of the Trinity and the Nicene mm. Creed. It's like, that's not in the Bible. And it's mm. like, yeah, but it's way better than anything you can come up with from the Bible, mm. you know, and, mm. and this idea that somehow we can, like, the thing I want to rail against deeply is this, I mean, C.S. Lewis is chronological snobbery, it's the hubris mm. that thinks when we just cast everything off and decide we're just going to go for the pure Bible, that we're not just filling our minds with all kinds of junk that mm. we don't even know is there from modernity and from the, the climate intellectually yeah. around us. The only safeguard against all that is to go and listen to the church glorified and Mm. you know i guess to try and just find as many christians as we can and listen to them i think that's the thing and and gosh Mm. the evangelical church has not done that Mm. you know the 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 atmosphere a lot of the churches i've been part of in the past and i've said this to the the ministers in them sometimes so you know if anyone's listening and things um that the disdain for other christians is off the scale and the kind of we few and we have got it right and all you guys need to catch up with us it's just it's ludicrous mm. like that attitude cannot continue and i'm not sure what the alternative is but that's got to go mm. and and if if you meet someone who is part of a church that has been around for thousands of years and you think their attitude to mary is a bit off or how can you pray to saints or whatever I think you, you need to do more listening than speaking, basically. Um, I, 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 yeah. Mm. Do you think we've got too much of an instinct to division rather than love and unity? Yeah. But I, I think it's it's a classic sort of manoeuvre of the devil, isn't it? Like, let's make doctrinal correctness our absolute. Mm. I mean, well, it's Revelation chapter two, verse one, isn't it? Like, um the letter to the church in Ephesus, like geez, all this stuff Jesus has done before, um, you know, and, and it's commendable, isn't it? That desire for truth. Uh, I, I think it, this is why I need critique from church, from other people. I think sometimes I can swing too far and say, oh, actually, you know, it's fine to wear a chasuble. There were reasons why the sacerdotalism in the Oxford movement were challenged by people at the time that it came. The church that I'm currently serving in, where I get the opportunity, I will try and gently suggest actually you know, those wrong ideas, if there are wrong ideas that I think I can see the church doesn't share um, down the ages, not just my current culture doesn't share, I will gently try and challenge it. So I preached on hell to that congregation from Luke 16 last Sunday. And and I think it was quite challenging to them. Uh, but, you know, if you're preaching the scriptures, eventually that stuff will come up. But in terms of 
what they have cherished and loved doing, um, you've got to think really carefully before you start writing them off as non-Christians. I, I, I think I, that's what I'd say. It's not like prioritizing division over love because no one wants to prioritize division. It comes from this idea of the Christian life as a personal holiness project. Like uh, it, it's all part of the same thing. If you're disconnected from church, if, you, if you're not thinking, I've been baptized, I'm in the church, Therefore, mm-hmm. I can explore things and get things wrong and work things out and listen to people and, and discover things. And sometimes, you know, I'll go off down a rabbit hole, but thank God my church will sort of pull me back. That's not you're not w- walking in the safe boundaries of mm-hmm. uh, Christians down the ages. You're on your own, basically, mm-hmm. you and your Bible and maybe your pastor, if he's really godly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that is a, a utterly barren, like you're exposed to all the forces of evil and mm-hmm. and that's why there's so many people who don't have any assurance who and if you don't have assurance you're going to be incredibly hard on everybody else who deviates mm-hmm. on the tiniest point so that the whole game of the christian life has not been about finding who we are within jesus body that already exists and that we are just discovering little tiny parts of the game mm-hmm. is me standing on my own with jesus in the background as kind of eternal fire insurance mm-hmm. holding the fort against all the forces of darkness and no wonder we become angular and horrible to people who slightly differ from us. We also have no confidence ourselves and get depressed and lonely. And there's no joy in, in being in Christ because every single second is this fight to somehow keep the church from being overwhelmed by the forces of evil or the forces of false teaching or the forces of liberalism or whatever it is. So, so I don't think it's a division love thing because everyone chooses mm-hmm. love, you know, mm-hmm. Terry loves love. Sorry. I have to quote <laughs> Brooklyn line nine, you know, everybody <laughs> loves love. Um, it, it, it's this whole sort of um, overflow of, of fear and anxiety about needing to carry a burden that only Jesus can carry mm-hmm. and only his body down the ages can carry. I think that's where mm-hmm. it comes from. So is this rooted then in this confidence, going right back to your initial definition of church, the harvest of Jesus fixing everything? The the issue is, is the church, I'm going to fix it. And essentially yeah. fixing it means becoming exactly like me. Yeah. If there is someone listening who's thinking, actually, that's convicting. That sounds like me. What are we saying to them? Oh, make friends with someone who's not like you, who's a Christian just like seek them out because you will not be able to predict what they think and and just go and listen don't go to correct them uh and and when discover like so here's the thing this is in an orthodox book um the parable of the lost sheep um matthew 18 verse 12 um let's see uh it was particularly that Matthew 18, verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Mm. There is the parable of individualism right there. Mm. How many times have you heard that parable preached as Jesus cares for you? Singular. (laughs) You know, Jesus leaves all those other people, the people who are already in church, and comes after you sitting in your seat (laughs) there. And it's like me. And it's like, yes, you. You know, it's the national lottery man coming in and saying, and, and, and you know, great, isn't it great? Jesus is personally interested in every single one of his people. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Orthodox say, of course, this is Jesus going after the church and leaving the angels in heaven. Mm. Of course, that's the interpretation of this parable. <laughs> of course, Jesus wouldn't faff about just one person. Like, it, that doesn't make sense. 
yeah, individuals, but only individuals within the church. That's their understanding because the church, humanity, Adam, all of us are the people who wandered off. And Jesus has whole loads of, you know, unseen creation, praising him day and night, all that picture of billions of angels gather around the throne. You know, that's 99 righteous ones. And Jesus is like, you're, you're all right. I've got I've got to go and get them. <laughs> you know, that's what he's like. And that's such a bigger vision there. It's, it, it, you know, and I got that from I'd never heard that before until I read it in this Orthodox book. Never heard anyone say that. And, and that's just one thing. I, the, the most exciting and glorious theology, really, that I've experienced has been from people who are not evangelicals, who are not Protestants, who are not Anglicans, who um, actually are a lot more patient with me than I ever used to be with them. And and if I remember how I felt when when people started saying this to me when I first came into the Church of England, you know, a lot of my free church mates were like, what are you doing? You're going to go liberal and soft and stuff. And maybe they think it's happened. You know, here I am talking about Orthodox and Catholic and stuff. Um, <laughs> but the, if if Jesus has got you and, and you're going in humility and, and you see the character of this person, that they are obviously sort of trying to love their neighbor, that they um, take Jesus seriously, that they're faithful in prayer, all this kind of stuff. You don't get that with people who are false the way you know people who are false are they're horrible like it's by your fruit you recognize them not necessarily by the stuff that they say they believe that you think must be dodgy um so so many it, it, the way it's often happened is i meet someone who's obviously godly and who thinks very differently from me about the scriptures or about point of doctrine and that has helped me think maybe there's something in this maybe i need to critique my view of this maybe i haven't got everything right shock maybe our theology is actually not cutting ice much with our churches. If, if you sat any one church family member down from all our evangelical churches, they probably couldn't give you a very good theology of anything much. And, and, but we still say they're Christians. We still love them. They're still part of our church. If, if you sat me down and asked me to carefully explain certain points of doctrine, I would make a hash of it instantly. Now, it doesn't mean that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that striving over the Westminster Confession or over doctrinal bases and all that kind of thing is, is pointless. But that's not the basis of our confidence. The base of our confidence is the Lord Jesus, who actually mm. has opinions about stuff and has given mm. us his people down the ages who have wrestled with all the questions we're wrestling with. And he's given us this legacy to, to engage with and, and not, not to accept uncritically, but certainly to consider. If, if there are brothers and sisters, then we have to listen to them. And, and that's what I'd encourage anyone to do in whatever mm. way you can. One uh, easy win would be to, to read the books of uh, saints of old. And uh, have you got any particular favourites? Uh, well, On the Incarnation, classic, oh. you know, St. Athanasius, that's a very good one. Uh, Confessions, Augustine, that's mm. pretty cool. Uh, and I mean, I haven't actually finished that all the way through, um, but uh, City of God was pretty awesome as well. Mm. Like, I've been really enjoying Karl Barth. I know he's a bit of Marmite mm -hmm. as a theologian, but I think what's good about that as well is you get, um, he, he really thinks hard about how we got into the mess of uh, like, you know, 19th century liberalism. Mm. And actually he is pretty good at explaining how a lot of what passes for church in this country at the moment is just a reaction against that mm. without really dealing with any of the problems. So mm. it's just like the kind of flip side. It's it, in the same way that we say morality is not Hitler. We say mm. theology is not those guys. But the problem is they're still governing the narrative. So actually, like reading someone like that who's taken a step back from it and, you know, has, has tried to sort of 
reclaim Jesus from the mess that that ended up being. I mean, I'd recommend, I, I know this is cheeky, but like um, Paul Blackham has done uh, book reviews on his YouTube. Mm. All of them are awesome. So do them as well. Um, I think like the commentaries, if you can get hold of them, like John Chrysostom, there's an audible mm. uh, book uh, of Theophylact um, uh, doing the commentary on Matthew. That one's eye opening. Uh, and, and again, like I, I'm not saying that I'm totally on board with all this stuff. But mm. now instead of thinking, oh, that's just, you know, loonies from the past, we've moved on from that. I'm now thinking maybe I'm the loony. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> right. just having that in the back right. of my mind has been so helpful. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hey, mate, there's so much to, to chew on there. You've actually got to go in a few minutes. So I, have, afraid, I, yeah. I think we're going to have to do a, a part two because there's plenty of other things to talk about. Uh, but that's been really helpful. Thank you, Sam. I, I should say, I don't know if you do emails and stuff, but I love to know. I love people to push back on this because I've, mm. I've deliberately gone, you know, go big or go home, really. Like some of this <laughs> stuff is like, I, I'm not sure about it, but I it, there's definitely something there. And it's not what you often... I'm not certainly what not what I had heard until I started mm. speaking to some of these other people. So, but I like what you just shared at the end there because I suspect there's there may be something in well, hang on, what about uh, orthodox, like orthodoxy, not the orthodox faith, orthodoxy and and truth. And you're not saying we're not about those things. No, you've already said we're we're creedal Christians, uh, who, who we're biblical Christians. Uh, with those who want to learn from the wisdom of the past. But I just like that that posture that you had there, where it's like, hang on a sec, if I'm someone who's like constantly looking out at other Christians and with, with resentment, with anger, with frustration, with disappointment, um, uh, with, um, and not love, then I wonder if there's a problem here. And, and even if the person I'm looking at believes something that's wrong. Yeah, because we all do. And, and if yeah, yeah. not believing anything wrong is our confidence. God help right. us. And thank God he has. That that line that he had right at the beginning on church, the harvest of Jesus fixing everything. Let's uh, let's take time, whether we're church planters, uh, church leaders, church members, uh, to reflect upon that. Uh, and 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 just that good news, that liberating news, that it isn't it isn't us who are called to fix everything. Jesus is the one who fixes everything. So Josh, thank you so much. And to be continued. Thanks, Sam. <laughs>